Let's go live with Jack Kelly. Welcome to the one-of-a-kind LinkedIn live show that will help you with your job search and advancing your career. We will bring in educated career experts who will share their insights and give you inside tips on how to be successful in your job search. Now let's get into today's show with your host, Jack Kelly. I think it's live. Is that live, Christine? I haven't gotten the official okay. notification yet. Okay, it does say on here, meeting is now okay. streaming live. You're live. Have yes. Okay, we are live for the first out of hopefully many of these compliance series with having top brilliant experts talking about what we feel is going to happen in compliance moving forward in the compliance, legal, risk, privacy, anti-money laundering, antitrust. Um, and let's just jump right into it. So I'd like to throw out a question first. Big thing, new administration, Biden's in place. He has two choices. He has two picks for the SEC and CFPB. Do you think that his administration, and this is not politics, just based on facts. Do you think that this administration is going to be much more regulatory oriented? And if so, is that going to be really good for compliance, legal risk, audit, AML professionals, which means more jobs and more money? What, what do you guys think? Maybe I'll start. It's Eric Young. Uh, thank you for having us, and thanks everyone for for being here. Short answer is yes. Uh, likely more regulation. We've already seen that, particularly compared to the prior administration. Um, already indicators for greater transparency and an emphasis on safety, whether it's safety for employees, safety for markets, safety for customers and the climate. And that typically means, if not more rules, more enforcement. So for the compliance industry, that means better have the controls, better be more nimble, better have, better have data and uh, nimbleness to be able to report to the board on how good are we really doing in managing these rules. So does that mean, Eric, that we already have the regulations in place, but maybe it hasn't lately been enforced as much or overseen as much or paid that much of attention to it. So now there's going to be more attention paid to the activities. So you're going to see a big shift. Is that kind of sort some of- rule, Some rules have long been in place depending on whether it's customer protection, antitrust, et cetera, but it's always the degree of enforcement and supervision. And there's different ways to supervise or regulate or, or audit, but ultimately it boils down to the firm itself and its culture and, and its people. That thing never changed culture. And that's part of what we're gonna talk about. Yeah. Now, Nick, what do you think? Do you think that it's gonna be much more aggressive moving forward? I don't, you know, I'm kind of an optimistic person. And so I kind of view a lot of what he's done when it, whether it's with respect to these executive orders or sort of the change of sort of the broader culture from the top or the, the tone from the top, so to speak. I think that's going to cascade across, you know, organizations to Eric's point. Um, and I think it's going to create a lot of opportunity for ethics, compliance, for legal, for risk to add more value to their organization, right? To help them sort of navigate through this undulating floor of risk or as these new regulations come across, uh, you know, whatever we're traversing across, it's going to give us a lot more opportunities to show, hey, we're adding value here and you kind of need us to help navigate through this. I think the, the drive behind a lot of the changes are in the direction of things that I think resonate with me, 
uh, let's fix the climate. Let's fix, you know, um, some of the social issues. Let's, you know, let's address some of these things that maybe have gotten, you know, kind of pushed to the wayside when the old way of doing things, which were, hey, for every regulation you bring in, I'm going to cut two or cut five or whatever that kind of approach was. Um, you know, is it an overcorrection? I think we'll see in time, but I think there's a lot of opportunity for folks in our field to kind of step up, kind of grab the bull by the horns, so to speak, and start speaking into their organization to help them navigate, you know, uh, whatever's coming down the pipe. Dick, that's interesting. So when you say social issues, it's, to be very frank, like I, I didn't think in terms of compliance, regulatory, et cetera, for social issues, but you do, I guess, right? And that's do, part of yeah. your whole company Absolutely. and kind of part of your mission. If I'm not mistaken, well, I just I think it's all one thing, right? Uh -huh. Like we we can be in different sort of pockets of our organization, but what is ethics and compliance and risk? What are we talking about? We're, you know, our organizations aren't full of like automatons and robots. If that's the case, yeah. Just wait, wait, it, it's going to happen though. <laughs> well, well, let's <laughs> the see. Robot okay. parts, perhaps, perhaps. Uh, yeah, it's probably going to come quicker than I think. But my point is, all everything we're doing is has a human at the root of it. Right. And so uh, the culture of an organization is just the sum total of all those behaviors and all those actions and all those values of those people. What do those kind of average out to? And risk is looking at a certain aspect of the outfall or the you know, production of those behaviors and compliances as well. So for me, I think it all kind of goes together, especially in this new, you know, this new century we're in. We're in a kind of a knowledge work economy. And um, these overlays of regulation and these areas that we can really um, help address in our organizations, they all have people at the base of them. And those people's behaviors and how those people feel in those, in those organizations have a direct correlation with how well those organizations behave and you know, what the sum total of that company's you know, ethical behavior in the marketplace is. So to me, it all comes down to that because look, we've seen over the last year, you know, um, Irina used this term, which I hadn't really heard of before. You know, we've been talking about uh, work from home, what it, uh, and she was saying, you know, it's work really from everywhere or work from anywhere. And so what we've seen is that wall between our work life and our home life and this old sort of adage of like work-life balance, that's gone. So if anything, it's work-life harmony. If anything, this, the, this veil has been pierced and it's been dissolved and it becomes more and more important, again, particularly in the knowledge work economy where we are our work. We're not just standing by, you know, we're not like, uh, you know, uh, Lucille Ball just stuffing, you know, uh, chocolates into a box, right? We're putting ourselves into our work and we're using our brains and we're using our mind and we're using our heart to solve problems in whatever sort of area of the world that we work in. So recognizing, I think, you know, from risks, from uh, people who are in risk or who are in compliance or whatever, recognizing that this is really the name of the game right now to your question, Jack, I think adds a lot of validity to the integration of these social issues in the context of how we manage risk and how we ultimately crowdsource risk. That's, that's interesting. And that's this, interesting, this Nick. And I know is. Biden is definitely interested in race equality, taking care of eco, you know, economic wealth inequality. And Arena, what do you feel about the, the, his choice, his picks, uh, Gensler <clears throat> and the other gentleman for the CFPB? Do you think those people are going to be, you know, very aggressive? Do you think they're going to keep the status quo? What's your thoughts? I mean, I think um, in the current environment, I mean, just to go back to one thing and then I'll answer your question. I think um, you asked, um, you know, Eric and Nick, how does this fare for um, the compliance officers? And I think this becomes a continued path for the question of um, our compliance officers. Do they have enough stature within the organization? Um, are they able to move the needle? 
um, are they able to escalate um, where there are issues that are bubbling up? So that's maybe one point. Second point I'd say is even in the last six to nine months, we've seen some willingness certainly um, for enforcement of existing regulations, even without any new ones. And so I think to me, it's a double down for compliance of everything that is on the books right now. And then there are some new things that are gonna come up. So some of the um, agency choices, sometimes we often say that people reflect policy. Um, and so we certainly see and anticipate the heads of the agencies to make their mark, um, certainly on a number of net new topics, right? And I think that's the exciting thing for compliance is you've got some areas like IT and digital innovation that could come under um, looking at not only maybe not regulations, but it could be sound practices. We can talk about those later. Certainly a double down on consumer protection um, for yeah. all the things that Nick was talking about. And then we've got this effervescent, you know, sort of new emerging. Wait, can I ask you, Irina, yep. if yep. I could ask you, so with the, with the consumer, which goes into CFPP and the gentleman's name is what? Robin, I'm spacing out on it because I'm an idiot. What's, what's, what's Chopra. the Chopra. Do you, what do you think he's going to, what do you think is going to happen with that agency with him in charge? Um, I think the anticipation um, for um, CFPB um, is again, I mean, if, if we look at the platform, you know, tied is around consumer protection. And so mm -hmm. certainly um, already existing um, supervisory practices of examinations, um, the priorities, um, more frequent exams, more information requests, um, all of those things could certainly come into play. <clears throat> Heightened focus on complaints um, and then certainly um, the eventual, um, you know, enforcement action. So, I mean, again, I think that along the traditional paradigm of what a regulatory agency does, um, certainly um, as they start to look at more and more of this data, and I do think it's going to become data rich. And I um, anticipate, sorry, Irina, these agencies, whether SEC, CFPB, and others, particularly that are socially oriented, let's call it, um, and one could argue SEC and CFPB certainly are, will be not only empowered, but their budgets will grow. So there'll be a reallocation and growth in, in their budgets, uh, whether on the enforcement side, policymaking side. And then to Nick's point earlier around uh, people and, and culture and and Jack, your question around social issues, our leaders within firms are the next generation and that social issues are important to our next generation. And that therefore today's generation are catching up. The question is, will they be able to keep up not only in terms of words, but also in terms of investment to, to be armed, uh, including people's skill sets, uh, not just be socially responsible, but to be able to demonstrate that a firm is socially responsible. So there's a lot of moving parts. And, and I think with the Biden administration, it's all coming together to a head. And, and do you think Gensler is going to be more geared to those causes or old school? Hey, it's both. let's make sure. Okay. A little bit of both. It's more transparency, greater disclosure, more, uh, greater internal controls. Those are long time expectations, but for the future to demonstrate that these rules will meet social expectations. So I think the pressure will come from the public 
for these agencies and the administration, uh, regardless of which political spectrum, but that markets are fair, customers are protected. It's the same pillars, if you will. It's interesting. In full, disclo in full disclosure, selfishly, as someone who has been recruiting compliance, legal risk, audit, those kind of folks for the last 20 plus years, I want to have a lot of scandals and I want to have a tough <laughs> regulatory body because then they go after them. And it's awesome because that creates a lot of jobs, a lot of opportunities for compliance people, because if they're not a lot of scandals, a lot of issues it gets boring. And also I'm, I, I'm a, you know, a, a contributor, senior contributor forum. So it's fun to write about this kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm have my own agenda. I'm hoping that you're going to have crazy stuff happen. And then you're going to have Gensler who's going to come in there and, and put in new rules and regulations and force the other ones. So you have all sorts of, you know, you know, and this sounds terrible, but I listen, I'm going to admit it. I'm not going to pretend. So you have all these fines, you have all these, you know, actions against these places. It makes you hire more people. And that's, that's kind of a good thing. We need that in this, in this, in this environment. And, and the for right. the last few years, it hasn't been that great in that's terms of job opportunities. Yeah. Just one thing I would say, yeah. the way I look at it is it's a double down already on what's existing. I think exactly. to Eric's point, some of these tenants are longstanding. We're not, you know, they're not changing you know, customer protection, fair market access, all of those things are kind of central tenets to financial services. But then we now have like this new flavor and this new layer. So it's almost mm. to my, in my mind is you have to be good on the basics because um, mm. there are new things that are coming. Yes. Like I said, either because of digital innovation, um, climate, um, consumer um, enforcement. Media. And so, exactly. So, I mean, I think there's all these new paradigms that are now come right. screeching into place as well. So you better have your basics down because it's only going to get yeah. Yeah. Um, harder. Well, that's Those perfect. basics are just table stakes at this point, to your point. Well, because that leads right into the next thing. This is perfect. So now, Nick, do you go on Reddit a lot or no? Or am I just yeah. being stereotyping? Oh, yeah. You're a younger no, guy, like, so you're uh, on there. No, I've been on that Wall Street Bets for years and years. How awesome is, is that site, by the way? It's an insane sub for sure. And it's like, it's up to like last night. It was at three and a half million people yes. are subs to it. Like, did you want to explain you know, to people who ago, aren't familiar it's, it's what it's about? Did you want to explain to people who may not know what Wall Street Bets is and what's and, and I presume you're, you're familiar with this whole battle between the Reddit day traders and the Robinhood day traders and these hedge funds who've been shorting these stocks. Maybe you can kind yeah, of. Yeah, it's a kind of an interesting thing. It's kind of uh, the populace against the uh, the haves. You know what I'm saying? Um, so you know. I'm sure everybody knows what Reddit is. It's uh, organized into all these different subreddits that are on different um, interests for this or that and anything you can possibly think of. Uh, this one, Wall Street Bets, is this, this group of people who post their trades and post what they're going after and so forth. And it's, they've really started to move in mass um, to protect some businesses that they like, right? So Game, GameStop is one of them. And GameStop is, I don't know, I don't know what the numbers are. Uh, it was definitely below 100 uh, a week a week or so ago, and uh, yesterday, I think yesterday morning, it broke, you know, 385. But now they're not letting you trade. Robin well, is not letting you trade. And these are, and this goes to that's what you were saying, Irina. All of a sudden, you get this new thing that you're like, what, Eric? Have you ever like saw that where you have this battle, as Nick was saying? And Nick, you know what? We should, I jumped in. It's my fault. 
no, I you're just fine. jumped into everything. As we're talking, maybe you guys could tell like who you are, what you do, so they know like your awesome background. So you you guys know, you know, they'll know what you're talking about. So Eric, have you and Irina, have you ever thought in a million years that you'd be having a conversation about, you know, day trading people from Reddit who are battling these short sellers? And up until this morning, we're just ripping the faces off of these hedge fund guys, so much so that uh, two big hedge funds, Steve Cohen's hedge fund and Citadel, had to bail out Melvin Capital to yep. keep them from being overtaken by these young millennials and Gen Zs. With big dollars. I mean, these I were big billions, billions, billions 2.5 billion or so. They had to get bailed out. Eric, I read it. What do you think? Because like, this is a different world for all of us. I think it's a new flavor of the day, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think the the interesting thing for compliance and those of us that practice in this space. Mm -hmm. So my personal background, um, I'm with Deloitte. Um, I've been there for 20 years. I focus on governance, regulatory compliance, all those things. Um, Eric and I have some previous history and we were both um, former regulators. Um, and so, you know, I think to me, I look at all the events of the day this is just in the modern era, right? I mean, uh, because of fast mm -hmm. pace of trading, fast pace of types of institutions, you know, um, who's entering this space. And I think I, the way I look at it is I strap myself in every day um, and figure out what other triangulation is going to happen. So, but I've been doing that for 25 or more years. So. Well, so it's after, a well, after 25 years, you're like, I've seen it. This is, you know what, whatever, I'll, I'll figure it out, right? You get used to it. Okay, I got you. Eric, how about you? Like, is this blow your mind? Like, this is this is crazy or same thing? Like, all right, after 25 years, this is just another thing. I'm the uh, CEO of, of Reddit, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I've been in the compliance space for a long time. I would say- Wait, wait, you're, being, you're being modest. You were the CE, CCO of BNP. You were at yes. GE at yes, really yes, top tier executive level roles for and, a long time. Yes, and then I should have said long, like you're old, but like you know, you you. <laughs> it's okay. My my last name is Young, so we'll always. Ah, there you go. We'll be forever young. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes. so the interesting thing is, we have seen a lot of these movies before, including some of the the people. But most importantly, I think Nick put it well. It's it's a populism that is now uh, fighting back. It's a reflection of the times. And the other interesting irony is if you look at hedge funds and these major firms, a lot of it is electronic trading. It's all computerized. And most likely through Reddit, day traders, et cetera, these are actual people making decisions. Uh, maybe in a coordinated way, I'm sure through social media, it'll be interesting to do a post-mortem as to what rules have been followed or not to each of these different players. But these are the new paradigms that we're seeing. And the question then, going back to the compass of the compliance officer skills is, can they react? Can they anticipate? And do they have the skill sets as opposed to just knowing the law um, or building process? It's actual, actual thinking ahead for these types of scenarios and keeping management and the board ready or Reddit, no pun intended. But what do you do? When so I'm, I'm going through Twitter, and you see things like the SEC is saying, "Hey, we're looking into it," but it doesn't seem like they know what to do. And to your to your point, what I see on Wall Street bets, and Nick, tell me if this is what you see too. I don't want to accuse anybody or say anything out of turn, but it seems like there's 
let's let's use a hypothetical. So, you know, I'm not kind of throwing anyone on the bus. It'd be like, hey, I love ABC Widget Company and let's go. We're going to go to the moon. And then you put a whole bunch of rocket ship emojis and I'm not making this up. You know, lots of uh, rocket ship emo emojis. This is going to a thousand. This is great. Let's do it. And then you have, as Nick mentioned, like now like 3 million people on, on just that one subreddit who are all banding together to say, let's get ABC Widget Company to the moon. Listen, I mean, we didn't what hear is that? SEC complaining when Jim Cramer is throwing things at, you know, talking about the bull or you get, you know, you get a guy on CNBC who's running a hedge fund talking about his positions. He had a massive platform for this. Yeah. There's been a massive democratization of trading ability. Mm. You have apps on your phones. Half of these people probably have never sat at a Bloomberg, well, probably way more than half. They've never seen a Bloomberg terminal. They may have never even traded on a desktop before. They're, they're only trading on their phone. But let me tell you what's going on in here. And if, if no one's been to this Wall Street bets, just go look at some of the recent posts. I just want to read three of them to you. Poor as dirt, 40 bucks in my account after paying rent. You boys are helping me put food on the table this week. Here's another one. Now I can write my mom a check and put my sister through Lyme treatment. This has been a very rough year, but I'm so thankful for every single one of you. One more. Thank you all. My wife was diagnosed with MS recently and my bank account had negative uh, 1400 in it. These people are making money together. This, it, listen, if this is a free market, they should be able to do what they want. It's not do, one guy. But don't you feel bad, Nick, that the more money they make, it's then these hedge fund guys aren't going to have that Hampton, Hampton house. Yeah. They're going to have mean, to, the kids are going to have to go to a state school instead of Dartmouth. Right. I mean, come on. It's not fair. Yeah, you're right. You know, <laughs> but it's you're a right. Lyme disease. Come on. Need to think of the other side of Hampton this house. Now <laughs> yeah, it's a double-edged sword because they may be really happy today, but what are they going to say tomorrow? Because they're relying on this information on Reddit. And then where do you draw that line as to advice, fiduciary responsibility, best interests? And this is where the SEC, the CFPB, and other protection type agencies really are going to and should look carefully as to what's really going on. And going back to compliance, are they thinking along the same way? And do they have the tools, including monitoring, testing, uh, and reporting to keep pace or ahead of the game? I mean, to, to that point, like it's almost like the stock market is a derivative of the options market. Like most of these people trading, they don't understand implied volatility. They don't understand the Greeks and things like that. So are they degenerate gamblers as some, some folks on the other side want to call them? Maybe or maybe not, but it's not like hedge funds, hedge funds don't make wild bets and blow up from time to time. All the time, yeah. Quite yeah, often. so I don't know, it's, you, you know what it is? It's like a leveling of the playing field uh, in a really interesting way. Uh, and to, to your point, like we don't know the implications of this yet. And we also don't know, you know, sorry to nerd out on this, but like, you know, as I was kind of saying earlier, Shorting is a mechanism of price discovery in a market. It is a mechanism to elite, to al allow us in a clean sort of unfettered market arrive at the sort of quote unquote proper price, right? So what are the implications if individuals are now scared to short individual names? What does that mean? So is this the beginning of the end or is this the beginning of the, or, or is this the start of a new beginning? I don't know, but it, there's a ton of really interesting implications that we'll see kind of sprout out of this. But think about it, but then you have the other side of the coin where Robinhood, it seems, mm -hmm. I don't know this for sure, but it seems when I was checking this morning and, and looking at the news that they weren't they weren't processing trades for GME, Games, GameStop symbol, and others. Now, now follow this. Citadel, it does gets all the order flow from Robinhood. 
Right. And, and Citadel was part of Point 72, which was the old SEC Capital, Steve Cohen's firm. They gave money to Melvin Capital to keep them afloat. So yep. then you got to say, wait a minute, are they putting pressure on Robinhood not to take these trades because it's going against their interest because they're propping up, you know, allegedly, you know, I'm saying this is this is what Nick told me. Who this knows? Is not, Who knows? This right. is not my saying it at all. He's 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 IMing me this stuff. So don't come after me. <laughs> no, no, no. But it's a matter of pulling. But on hypothetically, that hypothetically, while this happening, did wow, like I know Irina, you're saying, hey, it's only something new. This is kind of weird stuff, right? It this is. is very well, not it's like a big tangle knot. Yeah, not, not necessarily that it's not yeah. new. It's just yeah. that it's now accelerated for their current environment, yeah. right? Yeah. You have more electronic like trading. That, yeah. You have so my only point is because of the pace of technology, because of the pace of knowledge of individuals wanting to get more in the market, all of those things are just different factors. 20 years ago, they were different factors. So right. what I'm saying right. is all these are playing out just in the current environment, mm -hmm. right? So, so the challenge is going to be how do you keep pace, right? So I'll speak for myself, Eric, um, for those, <laughs> you know, that have more than 25, 30 years okay. of experience, I'm a bit jaded, right? I'm, I'm seeing here and looking and, you know, looking at the current dynamics and I keep going back to, you know, it's not just about trading for trading's sake. Do you understand the fundamentals? Um, mm -hmm. Do you understand the fundamentals of the value, you know, of those companies? So but again, I, I still have this kind of core basic concepts and sort of consumer protection market access, but just, you know, even I'm, you know, trying to grapple with the pace at which, you know, the news is coming out, um, how you distill as a compliance officer, you know, what the implications are, you know, for your own firm. Do you have exposure? What are your traders doing? How are you monitoring and supervising? So, <laughs> and are, the, are I mean, they even fundamental analysis has been out for years at this point, right? Like, I mean, I've seen so many articles of guys just saying, well, it's just all up. So just follow the Fed. And then that's the answer. Because, I mean, you can't justify many of these prices with straight fundamental analysis. And I think it might, it may be 10 years. It's at least eight, you know? Well, that's a great point. Because it's almost like the Fed printing all this money. That's kind of pumping up the whole stock market. Let's be honest. If they did it, if they didn't stimulate the economy with trillions of dollars, the market wouldn't be where it is. So like we just chart the Fed you, balance sheet with uh, S&P, you know what I'm saying? Where do you draw the line with all this? It, it's, it's really weird. A very, see, this is where I think I may disagree with you. Rita. I think we're in a different, we're getting into a different world now. And I don't know how we pull back from it because if, if, if Powell shuts off, you know, the spigot, yep. everything will fall apart like a house mm -hmm. of cards. And well, I, I mean, imagine if you could go in a time machine and you and you went back to the 70s or the mid 80s and you told the Fed, hey, I'm from the future. Guess what the Fed is doing? They'd yeah. throw you out of there. They'd call you a lunatic. Mm -hmm. They said right. that you're a liar. So obviously the mandate has changed yeah. a ton over the last decade, at least. You know what I'm saying? To, to your point, Jack. Can I go back to Robin Hood and uh, Citadel and some of these other firms? Absolutely. One, no commissions. And yet, and they've been dinged by regulators already in terms of transparency and disclosure. And I think this is going to come out even more. Second, what is the relationship between Robinhood and some of these other firms? And if, if they're getting client orders, so to speak, in terms of trades that people, the populists want to trade, who's benefiting and who's actually making money? And then 
going back to Robin Hood, is there some type of connection? These are the types of things I think regulators need to kind of pull on that thread using this as a, a case study and the case hasn't ended yet. It's only begun as Nick has said. And is compliance, risk, audit, even part of the conversation of everything going on or our, or our management and businesses reacting understandably in this nanosecond world. And, and that's again, because this podcast is about compliance and people is where do they fit in? How do they fit in? Right. So a lot Great. of questions. <laughs> Absolutely. It is interesting that they halted. Uh, and I wonder how much of that is due to folks saying, well, you know, don't use my, uh, my long shares, you know, don't make those available for shorting. I wonder how much of that played into it or how much is it coming from this other pressure or, or whatever. It's just, it'll a lot of it will probably come out in time to your point, yeah. uh, Eric, and we're still kind of sort sorting through it, but it's sure, it's sure uh, interesting to watch. See, this is what's <laughs> exciting. This is what I'm, I'm super excited about all this because I think this is just going to be the beginning because this always happens. Think about it. You, you know, you guys have been doing this a long time. It's very rare that, you know, one company does and that's it. You know what? We, you see one company yeah. does it and you realize everyone else is doing it. And then you realize, oh my God, there's even more to it. So speaking of that, Eric, what is your take? What, do you, what other kind of issues and things do you think of that keep you up at night that you think should be brought to the table that people don't know about or that you're concerned? I sleep pretty well these days. <laughs> <laughs> um, having a good time. But That's what happens when you don't have the pressures of being a CCR, right? You can yeah, sleep, right? you can relax. But, you know, I, I feel for the compliance industry because uh, the pressure is only going to grow. And uh, that's why there needs to be change. And I'm not going to get into what and why, but it's, it certainly needs to be a, a change. And, and uh, it goes back to skills, technology, and being part of the dialogue. So fundamentals and risk, audit, compliance, they're all part of the defense of a, of a of winning team and you need defense. And under prior administrations, the focus was on offense and, and rightly about jobs, but you still need that steering wheel. You still need that those brakes on that car and the dashboard. So I'm not highlighting or predicting any surprises. I'm underscoring fundamentals. I would say that's my takeaway. Do you think that because, and, and when I'm saying this, it's not politics. It's just kind of analyzing and looking at the facts because I'm neither a Democrat or Republican. So I don't have a side. I don't have a horse in that race. Is that maybe because it was the, the goal was just moving everything forward and that regulations were impediment to growth and creating jobs. But then when time goes on and Gensler comes in and other regulators in, in senior capacities kind of look and say, huh, here's what's lurking underneath. Oh my gosh. Do you think we'll find things like that? Like all these hidden problems that you didn't, that, that were just kind of, you know, brushed over but now you have to be, deal with it. What do you guys think? Is that, is that something that could come up? I mean, I, I think also that the current dynamics could expose more, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So some of those underlying issues, you know, certainly could definitely be lurking, right? Particularly for, um, you know, those firms that didn't invest in, you know, certain types of technologies that are relevant for their businesses, right? Um, so 
I think the problems could be lurking, but the question really is, is the current environment because of acceleration of electronic trading, you know, working from anywhere, um, you know, and that's what I meant by this is sort of this, you know, different story, um, but those stories always unfold in times mm -hmm. of market turbulence, market volatility, um, in our case, you know, bad. it's been right. exactly when things go bad is where the problems start to, um, you know, come unglued, right? So um, I think the factors themselves, in my view, are opening up, um, you know, sort of the, you know, the kinks in the system, right? What are the gaps? So the vulnerabilities that are already out there are going to be um, further exposed potentially True. in the current environment, right? Just because your factors have changed. And mm -hmm. I think that is really, so that's only one element. So I'm not saying that there isn't going to be more attention and more focus on it. The more things that go wrong, the more, you know, there's always the lessons learned analysis that follows that. But I, I do think that the current factors are also going to contribute whatever gaps already existed, um, they're going to get exacerbated. Um, in in the near term. Great point. And I mean, I think to kind of echo that or dovetail off of it, you know, who knows how much sort of like latent gunpowder or late, late in, like sort of explosive material is sort of in the system now that is going to be ignited as we start kind of digging and start, you know, True. things kind of start popping up. You know, we don't know how, how drastic of a swing uh, this is going to be and what the sort of damage you know, because it's it's always such a, a lagging indicator, right? Like right. when when the risk blows up, it's not like the risk just happened. It happened a long time ago, or the conditions for that risk to sort of perpetuate were in place for a long time, uh, and then it's like, oh, you know, now we got to kind of play catch up and start fixing it. Which goes back to Irina's point about like if anyone's just been playing like lip service to compliance or lip service to risk and not gotten those freaking basics in place, those table stakes in place, then I'm just saying we're going to see a massive separation over the next ten years, and it's probably going to be you know, it's probably going to start big time over the next, you know, three years or something because it's good be, be, because the temperature change is so, right. so drastic. You know what I mean? And there's going to be other competing variables. One is in this environment of cost cutting, because there still will be pressure to cut costs. There'll yeah. be more mergers and acquisitions, consolidation. And when you have M&A, you're going to have change in organizational structure and that's either good or bad, depending on the culture at the top, the surviving firm at the top as to, do we be tooled or do we just home grow what we already have and replicate it into the acquired or merged entity, which is usually not a good idea. And just so much more focus on the risk behind M&A. Um, so all of this, I think, is coming to a head with the new administration. And it's just, that's a whole nother session to talk about is antitrust and M&A and the compliance risk behind it. Well, we'll yeah, those are things we'll talk about. What, what do you think in terms of, you know, we, we have Amazon, Google, Facebook, where they just have almost looks like near monopolies. Um, do you think this new administration that's kind of, got a lot of money for them in the campaign would start to look and say wait this after a while let's take a place like facebook if they either could crush the competition or buy out the competition is that fair do you think they're mm -hmm. going to tackle that in this you know in this administration or just let it keep going 
maybe start. Not to put you on the I spot mean, with that. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, well, I think it, I think it is going to come to it. I was going to yeah. um, leverage off of something that Eric said is, um, you know, to me, it's not only about the traditional M&A, um, certainly bank to bank, broker dealer to broker dealer, um, bank buying broker dealer, anything like that. But I think it's also, I call it like the expanding ecosystems, right? And the alliances, Players. right? Mm -hmm. So whether lots and uh, many, many more service providers, you've got big tech, right? Um, and so I think that that is definitely going to come into play. Um, I think there's already been, you know, kind of conversations about what the role of the Financial Stability Oversight Council is going to be, FSOC, um, in this kind of new administration, and whether or not kind of systemic issues back in the day it was the financial market utilities. Um, you know, now it's entering the picture in terms of big tech. So I think that um, how they play a role um, in part of that ecosystem within the financial sector. It could be small players, small fintechs, or all the way up to the big techs. Mm -hmm. So my prediction is that's definitely going to come into play. And look, there's been some recent, you know, issuances that already start to look at the service providers, you know, so when at the federal level, right, when they, when they um, issued the sound practices for cloud computing, um, there's notation there that it also, you know, there's some earmarking for service providers, let's say. Um, so you already start to see, in my view, you know, some of that shift. I promise, Jack, we're not going to um, talk about specific regs, but there are a couple of examples <laughs> that are promise. out there. <laughs> I know. Promise. There are also some, so I'll just say generically, there's some examples that are out there that are already treading into kind of that ecosystem space that includes the big techs. Absolutely. You know, I think that's a great point. Um, and I think kind of to echo it or to kind of tangentially talk about this thing that nobody seems to be talking about right now is like, I don't know if, look, I don't know if anyone's talking about the M&A market and what multiples are looking like. Like nominal multiples are extremely high. And usually historically, uh, those were applied to EBITDA or something like that. These are nominally higher numbers that are being applied to revenue now. So how are these being financed? The banks aren't taking on, you know, eight, 10, 12 turns of uh, EBITDA to finance something that's trading at eight times revenue. So who's backstopping that, right? There's more equity coming into these deals. If there's a correction or if things move, you we're laying some, some you know, kind of back to Irina's point from before, we're laying some groundwork for some like potential massive moral, moral hazard when guys are like, ah, how am I gonna raise my next fund? Because I put so much money into this thing and I'm never, I'm never gonna get a return from it. You know what I'm saying? Look, if multiples continue to expand and then, you know, two years from now, we're talking about companies trading for 20 times revenue. And then after that, it's 25 times revenue, then great. Then the bubble can sort of keep growing. But I'm just saying, just do the math on it. Like back to the fundamental analysis question, do the math and, you know, do a DCF analysis on it and see what is it actually going to take from a growth perspective in order to make this investment hit your hurdle rate for your fund. Meaning, how are you going to generate that? At what point do the circumstances that you've created on the onset of your investment begin to influence the behaviors in your organization or in the organization in your portfolio to achieve that return. I mean, it's and how will firms know. get there and will they stay on the straight and narrow? Exactly. So exactly. Eric, do you think you could end up having less, let's say within Wall Street, that you might see more M&A among big banks? And you think that's... Yeah. Yes, I think some firms need to be absorbed um, without naming names. I think okay. some are habitually needing help in some form or another, self-help or, or regulatory. And uh, 
the environment is is prime for that. Um, there continues to be consolidation. And to Irina's and Nick's points, there are new players. So the banks need to do something to survive and stay ahead of these new players. And these new players, unlike the 80s, 90s, and uh, the early 2000s, I think are here to stay because big tech and other firms are bigger than the big banks, more powerful than the big banks. Good they, point. Do, they provide services for the big banks and they, they hold information for the big banks. So they've got a ton of leverage. And to your earlier question, it is bipartisan, I think, in terms of uh, their the view of big banks. Um, and the pendulum swings, but I think whether it be privacy or um, information control, it impacts everyone. And so it'll be interesting to see just all these dynamics. We've got big tech, big banks and everything and everyone in between and the surge of populism. Um, that means more risk at the end of the well, day. And, and you know, again, back to that paper of yours, Eric, that I love, like this blurring of the line, I mean, there's just blurring of the lines everywhere, right? There's this sort of merging of stuff everywhere, merging of functions and so forth. And, you know, a lot of what you talked about in it was kind of, are these tech companies, are they banks? Are they, what are they, exactly. right? Are they turning into financial institutions? Like, is that laying the seeds for what this monstrosity can grow into? And what does that world look like? I mean, there's so yeah. much uncertainty. Absolutely. It's kind of interesting. It's, yep. Do you think in another sector, the other day, Biden, signed an executive order uh, for clean energy, um, really uh, they revoked the key line, uh, keystone, whatever pipeline. Mm -hmm. Do you think you're gonna see more regulation and oversight and rules dealing with the environment, protecting the environment? Um, and then as they're trying to have solar energy, wind energy, clean energy, try to have controls around them. Do you see that kind of an emerging area in terms of jobs generally, but then specifically for compliance, legal risk, regulatory people who are in this space to make sure that, you know, the climate is taken care of? Have you ever, because I don't know much about that area at all. Have you guys ever given it much thought or? I think it'll be emerging, right? I mean, yeah. um, again, not to um, get too technical, but, you know, just like on the digital side, there's, you know, some, you know, proposed rules that talk about kind of computer incident notification. So that gets into the world of regulation. It's not just a good practice from an IT side. So we saw it after the crisis, you know, we saw a whole slew of prudential regulations around risk management that used to live and breathe in the world of guidance and sound practices that moved into regulation. I think we see some movement on IT kind of moving into the space of regulation. If I were, am I gonna be around another, you know, five, 10, 15 years in compliance um, and around the hoop, I don't know. Um, but my prediction is there are gonna be regulations and practices that start to come into fold, right? It all starts of they're mobilizing getting data. Um, but if it moves into kind of that regulation space or even practices, I think compliance is definitely going to have a seat at the table. I was part of a roundtable that talked about, but what is compliance's role in the world of operational resiliency? They have a key role. 
And so all these things start to take on, particularly if there's concerns on consumer protection, if there's concerns about market access, all these things, you know, start to come into play, at least in my view. So my prediction okay. is probably some of it will unfold. Agreed. And again, a lot of these laws have, have been around EPA, OSHA, um, administrations come and go, but some laws never change. It's always the degree of supervision and uh, enforcement. Right. And so if anything, the economic and budget pie will grow, but then it's got to shrink at some point. And that's when the rubber meets the road as to how and where do you divide that, that uh, budget allocation more for EPA, more for FCC, less for other areas. Um, that's what compliance and where compliance should be anticipating uh, for the firm where controls need to be strengthened. It's a false sound of risk assessment. Now, Nick, you look at it, your company does something uh, a little different, let's say, than Eric being a GE or an Oppenheimer uh, or BNP you offer a suite of services that uh, maybe you could talk a little about and, and to see where we see those, those areas going. Cause it's more like, I would say what, looking after your, your employees. Is that Yeah. Fair? So you know, we're, our whole purpose is to try to make the world a better workplace. So we have a suite of sort of corporate integrity products that allow organizations who care about this stuff to reinforce their culture, to help them crowdsource risk management, which is something we talk about a lot and really ultimately reinforce their bottom line. So, I mean, my general view of all of this is that, you know, we take this view of our bodies, for example, that's a very complex thing. We understand that, hey, you know, if I'm on a diet, and I'm trying to lose some weight, I don't have to point back to the salad I had two weeks ago and say, aha, this pound I lost was due to that salad investment I made, right? That's a very stupid way to look at our lives. And yet when we step into, <laughs> we step into a business, we like shed all of our brain power, we shed our common sense, we shed this sort of complex thinking that we apply in all these other areas of our life. And then, you know, compliance folks are battling for budget to try to make an investment. Okay, look, let's just do some quick math. What's the average revenue per head in, in across the country? It's, I, a couple of years ago, I saw it at 250. Let's say it's, let's say it's a hundred thousand bucks, right? Let's say the average sort of margin is 15 to 20%. Okay. So we're talking about 15 grand. You're making profit on each of employee on each employee is generating that much for their organization. If you can't spend a couple of bucks, you can't spend 10, 15, 20 bucks to reinforce your culture or give them the guidance they need in a safety perspective or in a regulatory perspective or in a trade perspective or how to not take bribes. These things that ultimately make up your organization, again, in a knowledge work economy, not when we're all standing across a, uh, a machine, you know, a, a, a manufacturing uh, line. Um, if you can't spend that money and recognize that I'm going to get higher engagement, I'm going to get lower employee turnover, I'm going to have more people activated, you know, we're all, you know, like I always say, we're, everyone's walking around with a three pound nuclear reactor between their ears. You think that's a better uh, risk manager than, you know, an internet of things thing that you place on somebody's terminal? It's way better. Of course, it's way better. We have to activate those people and we can spend a couple of bucks and you can have a couple of salads and you can go for walks for a couple of days. And guess what? In a couple of months, you're going to lose whatever weight that you want. So that complex thinking needs to start ascending up uh, to higher parts in the organization so that we're not, we're not arguing for nickels. I mean, these are, these are pennies we're talking about in the context of a broader organizational purpose. So we're trying to help folks kind of see that kind of stuff and put some tools in place that we can point to an ROI 
so that these light, look, the light bulbs are going to come on at the top, either when the generation that's there now starts to say, oh my gosh, this is, okay, this matters to these people. Millennials are the largest portion of the workforce right now. Our value system is different. Our God is not money. Uh, Gen Z is probably even further down that road. So there's an opportunity for organizations and for leaders to recognize this and to start feeding into it. There's so much good that comes from it. And just because you can't, you know, but a business is not a simple machine, right? A pulley where, well, okay, I pull this rope and then this bucket comes up. That's a very simple thing. That's not what an organization is. Humans are complex. Organization of people stacked and different processes and all that other stuff. So bringing a little bit of that complex thinking that we, again, use to govern other aspects of our lives into our business is not only common sense, it's good business. And I think the companies, the leaders who get that and can feed into their people now are going to totally separate from the rest of the pack who are still using those you know, 1900 style uh, hierarchical sort of almost militant approaches to uh, running their business. It's interesting. And, it's interesting. Irina, Eric, I, I wonder if you feel the same way I do. And I have two Gen Z kids. It definitely feels like the millennials and Gen Zs have a different perspective than Gen Xers and boomers, right? Is that, what, what do you guys think? Well, being a Gen Z, uh, I can say. <laughs> <laughs> You're the upper I, end of the Gen Z, right? <laughs> I, I, I can say the following. Um, one, <laughs> metrics are important. So it's a matter of how we use our tools. And two, there's two paths firms can yeah. take. One is empowering the people by right. today's leadership and, and through pulse surveys or otherwise, it's a positive direction because people will yeah. feel empowered. The culture will actually coalesce into something more powerful, particularly in the direction of social change. And we haven't ta even talked about governance yet. Right. The conversely, if em employees feel that they're still not empowered or worse, technology is taking over. The other key metric to look at are whistleblower complaints, customer complaints, and there's a correlation between the two. Um, that's a bad trend. So the question is who's looking at these metrics closely, root cause, um, are the right people looking at it, the board, et cetera. So but that's why metrics are important, but are the right people looking at it or the right people being empowered? Yeah, maybe two things from my perspective. I mean, I truly believe, and this is Irina's view, um, you know, that those institutions that can harness that multi-generational aspect um, are going to be the winners, yeah. right? So we're always going to have a mix of generations. Now you have more information coupled on top of it. And I think just practically speaking, from a compliance perspective, you know, I look at the concept of, you know, sort of issue management, you know, Eric mentioned whistleblower, um, you know, cases, um, customer complaints. But now the big thing is how does an organization, no matter how big you are, or how small you are, can you self-identify issues and who really is looking at it and building mm -hmm. that culture of self-improvement, right? And that self-improvement could be across a control topic, it could be across a cultural aspect, it could be across anything. And I think that to me, um, that's gonna be the differentiator because under issue management systems, anybody can contribute. Um, you know, all employees, you know, can whistleblow and provide, you know, complaints into an organization's hotline. 
So it's generation agnostic. As long as you have these tools and are able to actually harness it and do something with it, that's exactly. the hard part. Exactly. And I think part of it is not just getting the data, but also having the right context and also mm -hmm. being able to, to triangulate to look for like the full shape of the thing that you're looking at because sometimes yeah. it's not a square it's actually a cube right exactly. so right. if you're like oh well we have a lot of we don't you know I, I deal with this all the time we don't have a lot of reports everything's good well that could be good or bad it could be good mm -hmm. if everyone's willing to speak up and at the core people are open and they feel psychologically safe enough to say and there's actually nothing wrong going on in the organization odds are it's not that Odds are you need to look at that in conjunction with definitely. Uh, what's my anonymity rate, or what's the you know what are is you know a couple of other other you know am I able to substantiate these things? Where are these things located? Because just I think, look, we have so much more data right now. We need to sort of step up our way of interpreting this data and turning it into actual information, not just swimming in these exactly. data lakes. You know what I'm saying? In action. In action. Exactly. From exactly. Definitely. sustainable action, right? To yes. actually fix something. Like exactly. the worst thing you, you can do if you have a bunch of uh, weeds in your yard is just mow the grass and think, okay, this is done, right? This is gonna come up faster. You gotta weed the garden. So a great analogy. But it's, it's, it's hard to believe we're almost at an hour. It went, I, I mentioned to you like in the emails, these things fly. It's hard yeah. to, you know, right guys. So if you don't mind for the people who are watching it now and for those who will be watching it later, projecting out another three, six months with respect to people's careers, you know, you always want to feel, hey, where is it going? And how can my, how can I align myself, you know, with a fast moving area that could help propel my career? Do you have any thoughts about, hey, if I'm, you know, I want to give someone advice where they're feeling, hey, I'm kind of happy where I am, but maybe I could be happier and have a greater growth trajectory. Do you guys have any thoughts about where to point people to? I would say you got to do something new. You got to start doing something new. If you keep doing the compliance 1.0 or the compliance 2.0 thing of like, ah, I'm just so busy. I got a massive to-do list. I got to keep my head down and I got to get this policy out. Obviously the policies are important. Obviously these things are important, but we need to do something else to start to really elevate our functions so that we can help turn those light bulbs on at the top. To say, so that could be, that could be, I don't that could be where you are or moving, right? It sounds like yeah, you could do yeah, that at the company you're with. Or another organization that maybe has an ethos that uh, right. maybe overlaps more with yours or has a better mind toward compliance. Or if it's where you're at, change your world, be the change you want to see in the world and start reaching out to, you know, like my friend Ron says, start reaching out to uh, HR, start reaching out to finance, start reaching out to strategy and build a little, uh, you know, uh, three Musketeers plus D'Artagnan, and you guys as cost centers can start to show that, man, if we work together, we can really start to change things and ascend to the uh, to the adults table where, you know, the profit centers or the offensive team, you know, sits and discusses things. My point would be, um, Jack, is, mm -hmm. you know, if you're a hiring manager, um, really look at kind of the skill sets you need. And I've talked a little bit about it with you guys before. Um, so in terms of do you have someone that can triangulate data, um, that can use some of the tools that are out there that quite frankly are beyond me? I ask um, some of the people that work for me to do that. Um, so I think that looking at either data um, technology bases, um, again, maybe looking at non-traditional, um, you know, sort of hiring, um, pulling in somebody from a business into compliance as a rotation. Yeah. Um, so thinking about ways to diversify, I think the team so that you can anticipate more 
is maybe Smart. my advice. Interesting. And data advice. you feel is strong. Data you think is a big yeah. bonus. Data, tech, yeah, there's a couple yeah. of things. You need specialties, certainly. I mean, and maybe it's, um, you know, about looking at kind of the current skill sets along the compliance topics itself. You may find that you have a hole, but I think just where you source candidates, you know, think very openly about kind of how audit versus business versus risk versus compliance starts to go across. And I would just, sorry, say <laughs> compliance isn't going away. Um, three to six months, interesting timeline right around bonus time and whether there will be bonus, but compliance folks should be energized by what's going on and they should re look at themselves and think about, do they have those tool sets that Irina and, and Nick have described? And if not, get those skill sets. Um, it's, it's not rocket science, even though we're talking about data, it's a matter, it's a mindset of, of wanting to be more nimble and, and capable. And uh, the market is ripe for it because there are gonna be more enforcement actions and there is gonna be greater demand. Interesting. Any 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 last thoughts or any other topics or issues that maybe we didn't discuss that you felt, hey, I really want to get this out before we we head out, or do you think we covered we covered it a lot? Change is good, right? Change is good. Change is good. That's you know what? I guess that that kind of captures it, right? Around it from the beginning of the conversation to now, you know, whether it's these. Reddit day traders, whether it's, and we didn't talk about this, this could be another conversation too, about you know the whole cryptocurrency, Bitcoin world. Right. Um, there's a lot of changes. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's the watchword, right? That there's so much changes going on. And it seems, I don't know how you feel about it. It's going on much more quickly than it has in the past. And yes. that, you know, you really need to stay abreast of what's happening. And that's why I enjoy doing these LinkedIn lives because it's giving out information. It's making people think. You know, we may or may not have all the right answers, but it just makes people start to take a step back and say, hey, maybe I should look into it. Maybe I should go back to school and get a certificate, at least maybe in data analytics or learn Python or R or something like that, or get some basic technology skills so I'm not left behind. Um, and because it's not like Eric, as you pointed out too, it's, it's not static. I mean, there's gonna be a lot going on. And if you have M&A activity going on, I hate to say this, but then the downside for that you got to worry, are you going to be the one with the job or not, depending on how that acquisition goes. And you want to have the tools, the experience, Absolutely. everything you need to get another job. So, so indispensable people never get laid off. I'm sorry. Make yourself indispensable. I'm saying the indispensable yeah. people never get laid off, right? When the merger or yeah. whatever. So what can you do to make yourself indispensable and let other yes. people recognize that, man, I can't, I can't go on this journey without this person. That's no. a, that's a really you know, good point. That's something that I, I've, I've spoke, I speak a lot with career coaches how to make someone like indispensable because right. you're right because then they say hey we we need eric we need irena we need nick i mean right. if we got to choose let jack go man he sucks but let's go <laughs> <laughs> you know but you guys hey we need you you got you know sir it's so it's so true it's so true and that's that's actually something maybe we could kind of talk you know you know explore a little bit more in another one because if you're that person in the office they need you, you know, you, you, you know, no matter what's going on, you have to be there. And that goes also to the points of Eric too, and Irina, is that you get to be that indispensable person by learning, by studying, yes, by having yes. the talents, having the experience. Any generation. Yeah. Any generation. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. This, I think, what do you, what do you think? I think this went really well for the first, so for yes. the first iteration. We covered a Thumbs lot up. of ground. 
you know, talked about a lot of things. And, and I think good. most importantly, I, I, I think we gave people a lot to think about and to consider and to yeah. get some ideas about, hey, what's going to happen? Because this is a good time. You know, it's the beginning of a new year. People are starting to figure out what am I doing with my life? What am I doing with my work? I don't know about you three, but I'll be honest, myself personally and people I speak to professionally and family and friends, this pandemic made us all think, what do we, you know, do yeah. I want to keep doing what I'm doing? Do I want to do what something matters. different? Am I happy? So, so I think these kind of conversations are going to inspire people to say, hey, maybe I should kind of pivot to data analytics and technology because I'm in compliance and that's a hot area. Or maybe I have to do what Nick and Eric are saying. I got to make myself, I like my company, but I just got to make sure I have this job and I can excel mm -hmm. my job and move forward internally. So I got to figure out how to make myself indispensable. Right. Or other companies, or better companies as well. Exactly, yeah. So great. Well, Nick, Eric, Irina, thank you so much. Thank you. Chatting Thanks. with you. And and what we'll do is we'll we'll kind of edit this up, and then I'll shoot you a copy, and we'll repost it. And and uh, hey, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. You're Take care. everybody. Thanks. Bye. 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 Hope you enjoyed this episode of the WeCruiter podcast. If you want to check out other great content from WeCruiter, make sure to visit us at WeCruiter.io. That's W-E-C-R-U-I-C-R dot I-O. We offer tons of great resources for job seekers and professionals, so make sure to check us out today.